Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined once again by guest Elizabeth Bonneman to continue with our Doctor Who journey with The Time Warrior, a four-episode serial of season 11. Listeners have presumably already uh, have met you and remember you from last time, but just in case, Elizabeth, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about uh, how you how you came to join me today? Yeah, uh, so I'm a student of medieval history. It's, it will be my college major when I when I have enough money to go back. I'm also uh, something of a an expert on Doctor Who. I know more about it than anyone I know, and I'm sort of become media evil's resident <laughs> doctor who expert yes so uh so yeah so here we go so uh, today we are delving into the time warrior which is from season 11 it aired in 1973 and 1974 according to wikipedia at least since the last episode was like january 74 yeah because so, so the way that the way that classic doctor who works it's uh each story is like a number usually four is the four is the most common number, but but a number of half hour episodes mm-hmm. that together what make a whole story. So like you'd have to watch from week to week to keep following the story. So like this one is in December of seventy three, and then January of seventy four. So and it's starring John Pertwee, who is the third Doctor. Yep. How how is he generally thought of among people who like Doctor Who? He's well liked. Okay. Uh, he was of of the classic Doctors. He was there the second longest. Um, okay. And he he sort of so William Hartnell, who was the first Doctor, who we saw in the who we saw in the last episode. He sort of had like a wise old grandfather vibe, mm-hmm. and he was followed by Patrick Troughton, whose sort of vibe brought he brought to the role is described. Most commonly as like the cosmic hobo, he's he's just like <laughs> he's just like this this goofy drifter who like mm-hmm. shows up places. The third Doctor is kind of like the Doctor, but like James Bond. He's kind of like an action hero. John Pertwee, like he was in action movies in the sixties and fifties. Yeah, so, so he sense. like br- so he brings that sort of like. Like, I am going to fight you with my Venusian Aikido. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. He's like a slightly, a slightly like older than usual James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. He's like James Bond, but, but slightly older. That's, that's sort of, and, and also like more prone instead of tuxedos, he, he has a, he has a tendency to wear like velvet and frills, but. Yeah. I do really like his style. He does have good style. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. I would wear that velvet blazer. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> it also stars Elizabeth Slayton as Sarah Jane Smith. So I believe this is her first episode, but not her, her first serial, but not her last as the Doctor's companion. Yes, this is her first serial. Uh, she actually holds the record for most serials hmm. in the TARDIS. Okay. And she holds the distinction of helming two of the series' five spinoffs. Huh. And making more than one return appearance in the in the revival series, mm-hmm. so she's hmm. very prominent, very well remembered, and yeah, the spinoff that that came off the new series, the Sarah Jane Adventures, ran for four and a half seasons and okay. only ended and only ended because Elizabeth Sladen passed away oh. rather suddenly, and 
I think 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her. She's, uh, she's plucky. She seems to have a little bit more, a little bit more personality and like kind of a little bit more going on than uh, yeah. our, oh God, what was her name? The the girl. Vicky. Vicky, yes. I thought it was Vicky, yeah. but then I was like second guessing myself about whether it was Vicky. Yeah, she's... Sarah Jane is fun. Yeah. Sarah Jane is someone who will not be talked down to. <laughs> yes, I, I liked her. And then David Dacre as Iron Gron, who I don't know anything about, but since he's our one of our main people in the past, I thought I should mention him. Yeah, he's... He, I don't really know... I've never seen him in anything, at least not to my knowledge. He's not a... He's not a face that really stands out. Yeah, and I, I forgot to write down uh, the actor who plays Lynx, who... His face is not relevant yeah. here, but uh... his face is you don't, no, you can't <laughs> say it, but but he is but he is a prominent character. Um, yes, uh, well, and the and the and the makeup and like the mask like for 1973 is very good. It's it's interesting. It's like it's overall well done, and that at least like it's you can definitely. I don't know. There's things about it that are definitely well done. Like it's a much more convincing and kind of interesting costume than a lot of the things that you sometimes see. But on the other hand, there are definitely moments where it's like, I can see where like the mask is like, has like an eye hole, an eye slit that is like larger than your actual eyes. And yeah. then I can like see yours, like your skin. True. But like for, for a, for a rubbery alien suit from 1973, it's very good. Honestly, it's better than some of the costumes on like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So. True. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so Kevin Lindsay is that actor's name. I just checked. There we go. So we can now move into our first section, the enumeratio, where I'll start with just a brief orienting recap uh, while my cat contributes enthusiastically in the background. Hi, Carmen. An essential part of the enumeratio section. So I'll just do a brief orienting recap but to get us started, and then we can discuss in more detail. A Centauran warrior named Lynx crash lands in, quote, the Middle Ages. He allies with Irongron, a bandit warlord, and promises him advanced weaponry in exchange for aid in repairing his ship. Meanwhile, in 1970s London, scientists are mysteriously disappearing. The doctor manages to follow them in the TARDIS and learns that they are being kidnapped by Lynx to help with his ship repairs. Meanwhile, journalist Sarah Jane Smith stows away on the TARDIS and both become embroiled in the local conflict between Iron Gron and the less aggressive Lord Edward. The doctor tries to save the scientists and the other innocents at least before Lynx fixes his ship and takes off, creating an explosion that will destroy the castle. So we start on Iron Gron who, along with his men, are complaining about their terrible food, that they have all this meat that's, uh, that, even though it's been salted, is, like, clearly rotten and terrible. The wine is, like, down to the dregs. Yeah, it's, like, it's like rotten meat and sour wine, and it's... Not great. Not stuff I would want to eat. Uh, yeah, not, not a great meal. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't blame Iron Ground for being in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Later I will, but right now I don't. <laughs> yeah. So he decides that the good plan is that they should raid the better stocked cellars of their neighbor Edward. And then they see outside the window what looks like a falling star. And Iron Gron like, yeah, let's get it. This is going to be my lucky falling star. And Blood Axe is like, his, his uh, second in command is like, no, it's the work of the devil. It's, it's the evil omens. 
Iron Gron gets to win out. It's interesting, actually, that they didn't include the uh, the comet in the 1066 episode in terms of like falling stars and evil omens. Yeah, when was the when was the comet like within the year? Was it before Stanford Bridge? After? I don't recall. That's a good question. Yeah, because I don't actually yeah. recall exactly. Uh, although I know that it's in the Bayou Tapestry. It's somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, it's. I, I couldn't tell you an exact date, though. Yeah, no, I couldn't offhand either. Uh, I, if I looked I'm sure up the astronomers know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is a date, and I could have looked it up, but I did not happen to look it up because it's just occurred to me as a parallel. Yeah, fair. When they reach the ship, they find this warrior who identifies himself as Lynx and says that he is a Centauran officer, but I love how his whole getup is not that dissimilar from, like, basically half-assed medieval armor. Oh yeah, I I love Santarn armor is it's really something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's like very like stockily built like Yeah. The, the 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 video game Among Us is pretty popular and and memes of it have been have been going around. It's not dissimilar to like a gray Among Us spacesuit. Okay. <laughs> I haven't little, seen the that. The little but... bean guys. Okay. But. It's also very much set up so that I'm looking at this not knowing what a Santaran looks like, and I'm like, wow, this just has no neck. And then sure enough, the Santarans indeed do not have necks, so... The Santarans have no necks whatsoever. <laughs> it is just... They, I don't know if they if they make the comparison in, in this serial, but later on it becomes a running gag to liken a Santaran to a potato. <laughs> I don't think that one comes up. There's a lot of insults to the Santarans. I, do, I, I don't think of it. Which, in in retrospect, I think I think is a, is a historical detail that they actually got right because yes. Santarans uh, because I almost said Santarans are a new world food. Potatoes, <laughs> potatoes are a food that was right. brought back from the new world in the 16th century. So right, the doctor could have made a potato analogy, but his uh, his 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 medieval friends and enemies would not have come up with the potato connection. Yeah. So he manages to disarm Iron Grun pretty fast. And the, but the two of them, I would say, relatively quickly realize that they see the world in very similar ways. And that's not a good thing, but. No. <laughs> so uh, Lynx is like, you, you, you a warrior? And he's like, yeah, I took this castle by force of arms. Those who were here before me, I slew. Everyone pays me tribute. And Lynx is like, all right, that's cool. It's like, okay, warrior. Hmm. I can respect that. All right, we're, we're, I am on board. So, yeah. so they basically come to an agreement that Lynx wants all of this stuff to repair his ship. It's very clear that Iron Gron does not have much of it. Like, he asks about all this, like, fancy circuitry stuff, and he's like, yeah, we don't do that here. It's like, where is all your technology? And, and, and Iron Gron's just like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> I do not know of what you speak. <laughs> But he does give him what he has in terms of, you know, blacksmiths and whatnot. And in exchange, Lynx agrees that he's going to make him some fancy advanced weaponry. Yes. It's also fun at this point that they, they do definitely have a fairly fraught relationship. And I really like that Iron Gron is referring to him as an insolent barbarian. And Lynx is referring to Iron Gron as an insolent primitive. And it's like, aw, you're not that different. <laughs> you could be even better friends. Oh, look, they really do hate each other. Uh -huh. <laughs> they hate each other in the exact same way. It's oddly charming. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, in 1970s London, 
There are all of these scientists and equipment that it turns out have been mysteriously vanishing. So there's this brigadier who's like, gather them all in this weird house. Yeah, so the brigadier, uh, he's actually a, a very major character oh, okay. uh, in this era, era of Doctor Who. He actually holds the distinction of being the only companion to have had adventures with all eight of the classic Doctors. Hmm. He doesn't travel in the TARDIS much. He's more sort of like when when the Doctor goes back to present day England, Like it's like, oh hey, it's the brigadier. Mm-hmm. My old friend, mm-hmm. how are you? <laughs> so... The Third Doctor era is is also sort of known as the Exile Arc. Uh-huh. At the end of the Second Doctor's tenure, uh, in his last story, he faced a villain that he couldn't, like, face on his own. So he had to call mm. in the big guns, which is the... This is where we find out, like, who his people are. He calls in the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. And so the Time Lords, like, deal with the villain. But then they put the Doctor on trial for, you know, his crime of stealing the TARDIS and running away, which is illegal. <laughs> right, a thing you're fair. not supposed to do. He's, you've been meddling in history. That's not cool, my dude. Mm. And, and and he's like, but I've done some good in the universe. That Surely that counts for something. And they're like, yeah, it counts for something. We're going to let you keep doing good in the world. We're just not going to let you travel around time and space doing it. <laughs> so they so they execute him. Uh, so Which he can regenerate, so it's not... I mean, I guess that's why there's a it's new not, doctor. It's not the biggest deal, yeah. And then they send the TARDIS to Earth, and they send, and uh, they they also uh, go into his brain and block his memories of how to fly the damn thing, which he had only just figured out like Aww. some of it so far. So that's the start of season seven, and so he's found by the Brigadier who he previously met when he was the Second Doctor, mm-hmm. uh, and the Brigadier is the head of Unit, the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, okay. which is sort of like this. Uh, international military organization that deals with threats from outer space which Hmm. this is doctor who they show up every week right Um, so (laughs) eventually that the time lords like remove the doctor's mental block so that he can fly the tardis again uh because Mm -hmm. because he does him a solid in season 10 Mm -hmm. so this is season 11 so he knows how to fly it again but he's still sticking around with the brigadier because he feels like he owes him right when he landed on Earth, like, the Brigadier gave him a steady job as UNIT's scientific advisor. Because mm-hmm. even though he can't fly the TARDIS, he can still do science real good. Right. <laughs> so, so, that's, okay. so, that's, so that's their relationship. They're, they, they're pretty close. Yeah. Like, they, they know each other really well. Okay. And, like, and that's why they're like, so familiar with each other in this okay. scene. Yeah, because so, we actually don't see much of the Brigadier, though, since we uh, we then basically yeah. get the the doctors kind of hanging out with the scientists and their weird, like, science bunker house where they have yeah. each of the uh, the scientists in this, like, a little, like, cubicle. Yeah, so it's, it's, well, I mean, the thinking is like, okay, people keep, there's someone kidnapping these scientists. Mm-hmm. If we get them all together and under guard, maybe that will stop? Right. Or maybe at least we can mo- we can monitor it happening, and the doctor mm-hmm. can figure out what's going on, right? Which, which is what ends which is what ends yeah. up happening. Yes. So he meets the scientist Rubish, who first of all does make the not great comment that I haven't seen my wife and family in three days. Silver linings. Yeah. It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Rubish also like has these very thick Coke bottle glasses mm-hmm. and is nearsighted as fuck oh yes which will become important to the plot it does actually (laughs) 
And we also meet Sarah Jane Smith, who is uh, posing actually as somebody named, I believe, Lavinia Smith. Aunt Lavinia is a famous virologist. Yeah. Uh, so she, so Sarah Jane is posing as Aunt Lavinia, who's in America, so she's not at this bunker. Right. But Sarah Jane wants this big scoop of like, why are they bringing all these scientists to this place? And yeah. so, and and the doctor like sees through her disguise when she when he re- when he's like, ah, so you're Lavinia Smith. I've all, I've I've uh, I've read your defining work. It's especially impressive that it must have that you must have written it when you were five years old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he figures out pretty quickly that she's not really who she says she is, and she admits yeah, that, yeah, she's a journalist. Yeah, the, the real Lavinia Smith would have to be much older. Yeah. So. And I also love that they have this whole conversation, and Rubish is just there in the background and is just, like, doing his own thing. I think he's writing Rubish. on the TARDIS. Oh, yeah, Rubish <laughs> is easily distracted. He's, he's mistaken the TARDIS for a chalkboard. <laughs> And he then later, he's like, I don't think this woman is who she says she is. And it's like, oh, you, you, you didn't get that from the fact that they had a conversation yeah. about that, like, immediately, like, directly in front of you. Okay. Yeah. I, he's, he, is, he is very much the archetype of the uh, absent-minded professor. Oh, yes. <laughs> so then back in the Middle Ages... <laughs> I have, I have so many feelings about the question. I do too. Oh, gods. <laughs> that will come up. We now meet Lord Edward, Iron Grand's uh, a brief, briefly mentioned enemy, and his wife, Eleanor, who seems to be the person who actually like knows what the fuck she's doing. Yeah. And Eleanor's complaining about the fact that they really cannot continue to tolerate this upstart dude as their neighbor. And Edward's like, well, we can't do anything because the king is fighting in this interminable war and that's where all of the men are. What war? (laughs) What war? The war. Don't worry about it. Who knows? Who cares? (laughs) Unimportant. (laughs) Details. Yep. And so they decide they're going to reach out to a few other local lords in order to hopefully form a more substantial fighting force. They start to send messengers and, of course, Irongron captures their messenger. Uh, he has the message on him, and at first you're like, oh, so this is going to like be how it's going to get resolved, is that he has the message on him, and they're just going to read it. And then he's like, bye, make nothing of their Norman scribbles, since apparently Iron Gun cannot read. Or, or maybe he can read, like, Saxon Old English, but not Norman French? Maybe. Question mark? I, this is getting I don't know into what year my, it is. Exactly. This is getting into my additional questions about what year it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately for him, however, Lynx can just hypnotize people. And uh, he has this, like, little, like, light that he points at their faces, and that means that they'll just answer any questions. So that's convenient. Future alien science. Yes. The messenger gives everything away and also reveals that Edward has, like, six people in his castle. So Iron Grand decides that he is going to attack Edward, and Lynx is like, ooh, I want to come. I like war. Yeah. (laughs) Lynx is like, he's like a kid who wants to see what's going like it's like it's like oh i i like this stuff i want to see what's going on i want to see how you're going to handle this this is interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna take a break from my important work and watch this (laughs) the doctor whoever does uh get to see some of blinks doing his important work so he's doing this thing with delta particles that i don't science yeah, it's uh, it's not real science, for that's for sure. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah, exactly. I was it's, like, I assume this isn't real science anyway, so like, I'm not going to worry about the details. He's basically like uh, abducting scientists into the past, 
Like he's he's like reaching out into the future and like plucking them out, and he, and so uh, the doctor sees him as he is as he is abducting Rubish. Yes. So I guess he's able to then use his device that's kind of alerted him to what's going on. He's also able to use that to then track Lynx and uh, Rubish. And so he gets in the TARDIS. Sarah Jane then also stows away in the TARDIS. And they go back to the Middle Ages. Well, the Doctor and the Brigadier are like, are like running around like trying to figure out where Rubish went. Yeah. And Sarah Jane's like, maybe he's in here and wanders into the TARDIS. Right. Yeah, so she's looking in there. Of course, he's not there, but that means that she comes along with the Doctor to the past. Yep. Some unknown year of the past. Yes. Now that their messenger has been lost, Edward and Eleanor need to come up with another plan. And Eleanor suggests that they just try to assassinate Irongrun while he's walking the battlements. Yeah, like she specifically calls out, it's like, she's like, okay, we have a few good men, including Hal the Archer. And she's like hyping up Hal the Archer as though he's like, a big deal. And like, when we see Hal in action, he kind of lives up to the hype, honestly. Like, he, he does. Ha- he, he makes some really impressive shots, but... Also, it's really entertaining that the outfit that we get that we get for Hal is just clearly like, this guy is Robin Hood. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> he doesn't have the hat, but he's got the whole rest of it. Yeah, it's a very much like, all right, you're doing the Robin Hood thing at the Ren Fair is very much Hal's look. Yeah. He, I think, definitely actually would have hit his target and would have assassinated Iron Gron, ending this whole thing three episodes early, had it not been for the fact that at this point, Sarah Jane sto- sh- uh, shows up and is like, hey, you, do you know where I am? And distracts him. And so he misses. Do, do you know where there's a phone I can use? Right. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> she distracts him and he, and he misses his shot. And that alerts Iron Gron to their presence. So he sends his men out, out charging after them and captures them both. Yes, and the Doctor sees some of this happen and goes on into the castle. And he then soon sees Lynx. And Lynx then conveniently takes off his helmet, showing us that he is a giant rubber mask and <laughs> showing yep. the Doctor that he is a Santaran, which, yes, a very slimy potato actually is probably a pretty good description. Yeah, sure. Like a we'll, slimy, yeah. purplish potato. I, I would say sweaty more than slimy. Either way. Because he's wearing he's wearing heavy armor. He's mm. he's not. He's also like very. He's built like a potato. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, there, there, there's this whole thing that I don't remember exactly how it works, but apparently he lives on like a really low gravity planet, and so high gravity. Or so yes, yeah, high gravity planet, and so I guess that's why he's sort of like large but squat. Yeah, like he's got a lot of musculature to move himself around in that high gravity environment. Right. So uh, that's where uh, part, the first episode ends. We then uh, enter onto part two, where Iron Gron starts to interrogate his captives. The assassin, uh, you know, in reveals that he was sent, uh, in fact, really by Eleanor, not by Edward, because she's the one who gets shit done. Yeah. <laughs> he also is not very nice or gentle with Sarah Jane and uh, responds that he's not one of those stuffy Norman nobles and he likes a bit of rough fun. Yeah, and and she and and meanwhile she's like this Renfair act has gotten a bit too. Uh, <laughs> you Larpers are are a little too into this. Like you need to chill out. You need to chill the fuck out. Because <laughs> then at some point she's starting to try and figure out what it is that's going on, 
And she's like, all right, this can't just be like a, this can't just be like a party because it seems way too elaborate for that because you have this whole castle. And then finally she's like, okay, you've got to be like a tourist attraction. Like you've, like you've restored one of these old castles. And that was a detail I did appreciate because it's like, mm-hmm. instead of the, instead of like, castles are already ruins in the middle right. ages it's like it's like no you no the castle is in like good working condition because this is the time it's from right i did appreciate that i have a, that is one of my pet peeves when you have uh castles that are like 13th century castles that are in ruin in the th- in ruins in the 13th century yeah so so she's yeah so she's like oh it must have been really well restored <laughs> right and then she starts. You know, she starts complaining that uh, they're they're really overdoing this sordid realism bit, and they should really <laughs> have let people maintain some romantic illusions about the past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is fun. At this at this point, Iron Gron is like, she's nuts. <laughs> yeah, Lynx shows up. Lynx initially is very confused by her because he essentially is like, this one's different from you. You didn't tell me you had another species. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They kind of go through that whole thing with him eventually being like, oh, you have a, I think it's like a primary and secondary reproductive cycle. That's very inefficient and you should change it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which I enjoyed. He's like, you've got a bad setup here. Yeah. Well, well, Suntarans are all clones. So like, I'm not sure that that's actually better, but. Right. I'm not sure that it's better, but it is, it is more efficient. Sure. Pregnancy. Yeah, you can. So. You can, you can chirp. Like you can. Uh, it's like we hatch. Uh, we hatch th- soldiers by the thousand. Right. Certainly efficiency, which I'm not sure is actually entirely the goal with human reproduction, but I don't. I, yeah, I don't suppose it is. Uh, yeah, I don't think we actually want thousands more humans. Uh, no, the yeah. Santarans are the Santarans are going for like you know more soldiers in their endless war against the Rutans. Yeah. So he he also then realizes that Sarah Jane is wearing machine-woven clothing. So he is intrigued, and he hypnotizes her and starts to question her and find out, and finds out what time she's come from, and she mentions the doctor as well, which I think he does know already who the doctor is, or he seems to. It's possible? I'm not... Yeah. Like, like either either he recognizes the name of the doctor or he's like, or, or like what she tells him of the doctor, like he's got like technology that even she doesn't understand and yeah. such is like that just tips him off like, okay, that I, this is a person I want to know more about. Right. Because it doesn't even be that he knows that normal people on earth in the 1970s don't have time travel capabilities. Yeah, that's true too, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Which, fair, uh, you know, good good job on that one. Lynx also has made Iron Gron a robot knight. Yeah. Iron Gron decides to test him out by having him execute the uh, Hell the Archer. And at first it's like, all right, there goes our friend Hell. But the doctor manages to shoot the remote control for the robot out of Iron Gron's hand. And so it like turns around and starts going after Iron Gron, who has to yeah. behead him to stop him. And while all that's happening, they're able to run off. Now, I don't know super much about crossbows, but I don't think they're usually that accurate. No. <laughs> to, like, shoot someone, something out of someone's hand at a, at a fairly sizable dif- distance. Without in any way injuring him. Yeah, no, no. The in, doctor does yeah. not shoot to kill. <laughs> in general, I would say the 
the use of archery in this movie is wildly over optimistic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think like even if he managed to have the accuracy to shoot something out of his hand, I feel like he'd probably take most of his hand with it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, like I just don't even think the angle on it makes sense. Not really. Iron Gron does get to see Lynx's face for the first time and is shocked. Uh, Lynx, I think, has said something before. He's like, I told you you wouldn't find my face pleasing. And Iron Gron's like, yeah, you weren't lying about that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which spawns like three episodes at this point of Iron Gron making fun of Lynx's physical appearance. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will say, you know, that's honestly not that dissimilar from how I might expect somebody medieval to react to an alien. Yeah, I fair. I can see that one. <laughs> Honest, honestly, like, yeah, the, there are two reactions a medieval person, I think, would have. And there's either Iron Gron's, like, constant making fun or, or Blood Axe's, this guy's definitely a devil. <laughs> well, the third reaction, I would argue, actually, although it doesn't show up in this movie, in this uh, show, because none of these people have religion. But the third uh, valid reaction would be, like, oh, you're a different group of people. Could I convert you into Christianity? Would you like Jesus? <laughs> Yeah, no one's trying to do that here. <laughs> right, uh, which is actually the tack taken in there's a, there's a really interesting novel called Eiffelheim, which is about these aliens that happen to land on Earth basically during the Black Death. Oh, fun. Yeah, which is a, which is really interesting. And that's basically what, what a lot of the people, what a lot of people's reactions are. So some of them are like, these are like, these, some of them like are blaming them for the plague, which is not totally surprising. But also not totally surprising is that some people are just like, you seem nice. Can I interest you in Jesus? <laughs> yeah, none of that. None of that's happening here. No, no. Uh, because none of them have ever heard of Jesus, as far as I can tell from this film. Iron Gron certainly doesn't care. Oh no. Yeah. The, so the doctor is now down with the scientists who have mostly been hypnotized and are being forced to work for links. Rubish, however, remains unhypnotized. Because his glasses did not make him make it back with him, and he is fucking blind as a bat and no. cannot see shit. Nope, it's, <laughs> it's a, it is amazing. It's so you've got like these scientists, and they've got like they're like you know, s sort of like we've been hypnotized, like almost robotic like yeah. movements, and then you've got just Rubish sort of like blindly stumbling around, and <laughs> and apparently and apparently Lynx just hasn't noticed him or doesn't right. care that it's like okay there's this nearsighted rando that i can't hypnotize he's just here now <laughs> my theory is that he's just so chill that nobody has noticed because he is very <laughs> relaxed about this whole situation like oh he's he's a delight and like when Lynx is in the room he does like you know try and like make himself unnoticed in a corner mm -hmm. so at least there's that yeah, so he is making an effort, but he's just basically, he's kind of hanging out. He's complaining that the other, that the zombies essentially are rotten company because yeah. they've been hypnotized, but is enjoying the astonishingly well-preserved medieval columns. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the doctor even offers to rescue him, and he's like, no, there's interesting science being done. I just want to chill out. Yeah, it's like, I want to I know what's going on, man. This is cool. This is fun. And, it's, and the doctor's like, you are in danger. And, and, and Rubish is like, dude, I, 
I want to see this stuff. Yeah, it's like, don't I can't, worry about I it. I can't see anything, but I want to see this. Yeah, I want to figure out what's happening. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, as I said, I, I really like just how chill Rubish is. He's, he's a, he is delightful. <laughs> so Lynx recognizes the doctor or kind of figures out that he must be the doctor or whatever it is. And uh, they spend some time arguing. The doctor is definitely like Loki, definitely a bit like racist against the Santarans. At some point, Lynx, Lynx is just is like dismissing. He's like, I don't care about this primitive planet and its affairs. And he's like, that's a typically Santaran attitude. And yeah. then Lynx is like, have you met other Santarans? Like, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, when we do see other Santarans, like, they're almost all like pretty much like Lynx. Like, mm-hmm. they are, they are like, they are the like the Hooniverse's like proud warrior race guys. They are they are potato shaped Klingons. <laughs> yeah, this guy certainly is not very likable, and yeah, that uh, that certainly yeah, isn't no. surprising that it is like this universe where probably like they basically are all essentially the same. They're all clones and they're all soldiers, so they do really find like all fit the same mold. Yeah. The doctor tells him that he is a time lord from Gallifrey once Lynx realizes that he is not, in fact, human. And then they spend some time chatting about whether they should care about human evolution, which includes that the doctor protests that if uh, Lynx gives them guns, they're going to have atomic weapons by the 17th century before they are, quote, civilized enough to handle it, which, A, (laughs) oof, come on, and B... Bold of you to assume that we are now civilized enough to handle having atomic weapons, because I would not make that. I would not make that assumption. Yeah. Like I wouldn't make it about twenty twenty, much less nineteen seventy. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, like, so, like they should be taken away from us. Like we need a time lord to get that stuff like, to get that the fuck away from us. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like, oh, you're gonna, we're gonna be civilized enough to handle it. It's like, are we? Sarah Jane is then brought to Edward and Eleanor by Hal, and she assumes that the Doctor is actually in alliance with Iron Gron and responsible for the fancy robot, since he's the one with all of these fancy science things and time travel and whatnot. Yeah, it's like it's like he's the time traveling alien. He must be behind the alien abductions. Right, which is you know, which is not unfair as an assumption. Sure, yeah. yeah. And she suggests that they plan a raid to kidnap him and therefore deprive Iron Gron of his help. Yes. So we basically end with the the kind of beginning of this raid, I think, that we actually see the same scene at the end of episode two and the beginning of episode three, where they yeah. get in basically because the fact the sentry's like taking a fucking nap. I think, wait, we missed a bit, we missed a bit where uh, uh, Lynx manages to hypnotize the doctor into doing work yes. for him. And he puts like this headset on him that like basically zaps him if he if he makes a move out of where he's supposed to be. So the doctor right. like like the doctor gets Rubish, who Lynx apparently hasn't noticed, to turn it off. Right. So he escapes and then we have this long fight scene where the doctor right. is like running around the courtyard and, and all of Irongron's men are like chasing after him and mm-hmm. it's like it's all shot from like a nearby rooftop. So you, it's and it's like one continuous shot, so you see like them all just running around and like right. The doctor will like run past a guy and punch him, and like they're they're all like trying to grab him, and, and, and it's the like really all of you them. cannot catch this one like <laughs> relatively like old man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I know he thinks he's James Bond, but like there's what nine of you? <laughs> like, come on, you should be able to handle this. 
And so, like, it's all shot in one shot, like, unedited shot at the end of season, right. uh, at the end of part two. Uh, the recap at the start of part three, like, shows that, like, that's the reason right, that yeah. we're seeing it from the roof is because Sarah Jane and Hal are yes, up on the roof watching right. this. Yeah, my my notes, I think, at some point got a bit muddled, actually, because I'm pretty sure I forgot to write in the initial version of my notes when we transitioned from episode two to episode three, so. Oh, yeah. That's, well, oh, yeah, because I, I see the, that your next point that you put in part three was also at the end of part two, where. Uh, right. The doctor realizes that Sarah Jane is here, and so he's like, and so he's like, uh, uh, he says to he says to Rubish, "I'm sorry, uh, uh, I've got to go and find a young girl." And and he runs off, and and Rubish says, "Young girl? I would have thought he was a bit old for that sort of thing." <laughs> oh well. <laughs> it's like, uh, all right, guys. Like, okay. Yeah, and like, I don't know. Like, it's 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 a joke, sure. <laughs> Like, it's, it's a joke that I'm sure was much funnier in 1970 than I think it yeah. is to me now. And like, <laughs> the, yeah. And like, the, it's not like the doctor would ever do anything like that, so. Yes. But, but Rubish would, apparently. Yeah. While he's so, busy enjoying the fact that he's not seeing his wife and family. Right. <laughs> Iron Grom manages to count, to like corner the doctor and then Hal shoots the axe out of his hand returning to arrow. our ambitious uh assum- set of assumptions about how archery works <laughs> yeah like i again i i don't think you can do that with arrows i'm yeah like maybe like lynx's future weapon sure like right i'm fine arrow, with that no <laughs> no so uh, yeah so so the doctor like manages to escape to where Hal and Sarah Jane are, and he's like, "Well, thanks for the rescue." And, and Sarah Jane's like, "Oh no, this isn't a rescue. This is a capture." Sorry, friend. <laughs> I also Rubish remains, by the way, so chill that no one has noticed that he has not been hypnotized, <laughs> but he has made himself a monocle. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> found himself a piece of glass and uh and uh, like a, a little grinder, and he has managed to fashion himself a monocle. In the correct dimensions that we'll let him see. Yes. Good for him. So, he's a good very on good, him. He's a very good scientist, apparently. Yeah. The doctor is brought to Edward and Eleanor and makes a very good impression on them because he's like, finally, some civilized people. And they're like, yes, we are civilized. And <laughs> also describes Lynx as nasty, brutish, and short, which is a good medieval joke because that's how people traditionally oh, yeah. would describe the Middle Ages or yep. life in the Middle Ages. Yeah, it's it's a good goof. Yeah, it's a, it's solid. I was like, all right. So Sarah Jane is like, all right, so I might have been wrong about this, although we have this super unnecessary misogynist comment from the doctor at this point where she's like, okay, I could have been wrong. And he goes, that's a generous admission, especially coming from one of the fair sex. But to be fair, she does yeah. clap back a bit and she's like, I don't know, maybe I'm not wrong. Maybe you suck. Yeah. And, and he's like, you know what? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like, given just, like, earlier, like, episodes I've seen with this Doctor, that, like, the misogyny is not a part of his character so much as, like, the, I am going to poke fun and get under the skin of this young woman. <laughs> right, which is very odd. I'm, I, going to tro- I'm going to troll her. <laughs> right, which I'm not fond of, but, yeah, it's, it, it's not the best look, I will say. No. No. Because also this whole bit earlier where she, like, asks about, I don't know, she's like, can I help? And he's like, I don't know, we need somebody to make the coffee. And it's like, okay, come on, dude, chill. 
Well, in that in that context, it's like it's like okay, we've got the the best and brightest scientists, and it's like you've just told me that you are not in fact a scientist, and also not supposed to be here. But like, I'm not going to turn you in. But like, you could at least, I guess, be useful. <laughs> right, but she's like, she's not an idiot. She's just not a scientist. Right. Yeah. Like she she asks him what she what he's doing, and he's like, you wouldn't understand. And then she's like, try me. And then he tells her what she's doing, and, and she like has this. She like doesn't respond, but she's like got this look on their face, like you're right. I have no idea what you just said. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you know, she's not a scientist, but like she's uh, you know, I'm sure she's used to like asking people like good, complicated questions and doing research and stuff like that. Like it's not like she's dumb. That's true. Yeah. So, but they they do eventually, you know, get to chatting and get to know each other a bit. And uh, he tells her basically that he's, you know, from this group of people whose goal is essentially to stamp out unlicensed time travel and describes it as basically galactic ticket inspectors, which I like as a description. And that's rich coming from him, considering that is exactly why he was executed and exiled in the first place. You know, stamp out intergalactic, uh, st- stamp out unlicensed time travelers like me. <laughs> like me. <laughs> yes, but now he's not. Now I guess he's like worked all that out, and he's like going party line on that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He's he go, he vacillates back and forth on that issue. Like mm. it's it's like he's like he's like yes, the time lords have a point, but like also I want my freedom. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also like and also like. The, the, like, Time Lord political establishment kind of sucks. Mm. He definitely <laughs> I mean, has a bit of a, like, a double standard on this. And he's like, well, I should be able to do whatever I want. But, like, these other people, <laughs> oh, no, what they're doing is bad. Yeah. And he uh, he he does, like, that double standard is definitely, like, a factor. Like, it's like, it's like I run around and help. Like, Lynx here just wants to, you know, blow shit up. And, right. And, like, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Lynx doesn't even really want to be in this whole place at all. Like, he really just wants to fix no. this shit and get out of there. Yeah, but he but he doesn't worry about, like, you know, fucking with the course of history and introducing no. advanced weaponry centuries early. Like, yeah, he considers he's that like, he's like, this, important. He's like, this, this planet is unimportant. I don't give a shit what happens here after I leave. Right. Though it is interesting that he does... Uh, refrain from like he's not giving them like his weapons he's giving them uh, like weapons that are only a few centuries like a, in advance which is interesting. yeah like it's it's like uh it's like a a breech loading uh rifle i believe is like a 19th century right innovation like it's 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 later than a musket but like it's it's definitely pre-world wars right and again we do not know what year this is but oh, no. <laughs> it's at most, but, you know, 800 years in the future. Like, it's not it's not the same as if he actually gave yeah, them, like, Santaran weapons. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, they're not firing lasers at people. Right, yeah. He does give them a robot, but, like, it's yeah. a glitchy robot. Right, and also, like, the and also, like, the, you know, with the robot, like, it's, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it would be hard for them to actually, like, do much to reproduce it necessarily. Yeah. And, like... The glitches in the robot aren't Lynx's fault. They're the doctor's. Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, true. If he actually had, had kept a hold of the remote control, it would have been effective. Yeah. yeah. It was taking arrows from a longbow at point-blank range and not stopping. Because, right. like, even though Blood Axe did make, like, a, a good comment about, like, how at, at that range, like, armor's not effective against a longbow. Yeah. But, but like, also... It's a robot, so it doesn't care. Right, yeah, which, you know, is is helpful. 
Yeah. But, you know, I feel like having, like, one robot isn't necessarily maybe going to change the course of history. True. So, meanwhile, Iron Gron, Lynx, and company arrive at Edward's castle for their attack, but uh, the Doctor et al. have been preparing for them. First of all, they've, like, set up these dummies, and uh, so initially they're kind of deterring Iron Gron by the fact that there's more people than he expects, but as Lynx is prompting, they start shooting them and realize that they're not real. Yeah, they they start shooting them with their guns yes. which they have yes so. which they have now but like uh but like a stone wall is still gonna hold up against a rifle right yeah exactly but they do like shoot one of the people and the fact that it doesn't fall down is like all right i guess that's not a real person yeah yeah which is you know that was actually a good idea but then the doctor turns to phase two which is uh chucking stink bombs over the edge right so he manages then to force them into a uh, retreat and it's great that iron grand who is like all for like let's get the fuck out of here then back at the castle is like is immediately like what's wrong with you like you just heard like a couple of loud noises and some bad smells and you ran away you bunch of wimps and Lynx actually calls him the fuck out and is like yeah so did you you dick (laughs) yep yeah and the doctor's like like there was there was no real like harm to be done with these weapons it's like that i that i've made cuz like the doctor doesn't hurt people it's a big it's right. a whole thing he's like that man flashbang stink bombs and right. it's like, and it's, it's like it's not even like harmful gas it's it just smells really bad i still recommend we get get inside because <laughs> <laughs> right they then end up, uh, so then they're going back to the castle because uh, I think they know at this point already that Lynx is going to, you know, do build his ship. And then have they already started talking about the fact that Lynx is going to, that once Lynx's ship takes off, it's going to blow everything up? I don't remember if they've, if okay. that's come up by this point. I think it might have. Okay. Um, but regardless, they definitely know they need to still rescue all these scientists who are mostly still zombies. Yeah. So they sneak back, uh, the Doctor and Sarah Jane sneak back into the castle by posing as Franciscan friars in search of charity. And one of the sentries at this point jokes, let's hope the friars are fleet of foot or the church will have two new martyrs before long, which raises the question, are Iron Gun and his men not Christians? They sure don't act like it. This is raising some additional baffling questions about... The, or or, uh, or baffling elements of the age-old question for this episode of what, what year, year is it? it? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I mean, judging by like the two uh, location references that are thrown out, like I'm assuming somewhere in the south of England, but it's right. really not specific. We've got a location across it, like we know at least. Like I think south of England, we're pretty safe. The time remains extremely oh, yeah. questionable. Yeah, there's, there's, I have a number of things to say about that. Yes, I, I yeah. Also, I'm not sure exactly where we're at, but I know at some point the Doctor and Sarah Jane uh, just stroll past these two guards. Yes! Uh, and the Doctor, like, he, like, beckons them closer. Like, he's got something, and he's, like, got, he's, like, holding out his hands like there's something in them, like, like, that he wants to show them. And they, and he, like, just strolls on up to them. <laughs> he beckons them closer. They're, like, Okay, and they, like, come closer. And then the doctor punches them both in the face. Right. (laughs) And, and like, I love that moment. It's also, but it's also just like, wow, like, y'all are dumb. Y'all are dumb and bad at your job. Yeah. 
We also have continued conflicts between Iron Gron and Lynx, including that Iron Gron keeps calling Lynx Toadface, but also that Lynx is like, so I'm gonna leave like really soon. And Iron Gron's like, you're not gonna leave. Like you're gonna stay here and help me in the war. And Lynx is like, yeah, that's not happening. So no. they're arguing about I that. I have my own war to get back to that I think is way more important than any of you primitives. Right, like he does, he does not care. And we end with a cliffhanger because uh, Lynx goes back into his little workshop and sees that the doctor is there and does what I think is supposed to be better hypnosis on the doctor, which is my guess based on the fact that it's now a red light instead of a yellow light. No, actually, I believe at this point that uh, he's just trying to kill the doctor. Oh, okay. I think that was like supposed to like be like a pain ray, mm. death ray. Okay. But it doesn't. But he doesn't like point it at him long enough to to do permanent damage because right. uh, Sarah Jane like tries to tackle Lynx and gets right. thrown off because yeah. Lynx is very strong. But that like knocks off his aim, and then and then the doctor like starts talking about Lynx's. The, the Santaran's weak spot, which is the vent at the back of the neck, which right. Lynx, is, Lynx is like, it, it means our soldiers must always face forward. It is, it is, it's, it's, it's not a bug, it's a feature. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that like, but that lets Rubish like sneak up behind him and like, and like whack him on the back of the Provic vent with like a brick. <laughs> right. Which honestly good for Rubish. And also I love yeah. that like he's able to like even see where the damn thing is because of his monocle. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Like, good for Rubish. So, yeah, so the doctor ends up being okay. And they tie up Lynx and uh, start their efforts to unhypnotize the people and then evacuate the castle. Because at this point, they are deaf. They do definitely know that they have to evacuate the castle because when Lynx's ship takes off, it's going to blow everything up. They definitely, by this yeah. point at least, are like, oh, okay, that's what's happening here. It's like, well, don't you need our, us to take... Like, Iron Gron, like, makes a comment of, of like... Uh... Don't you need us to take? We brought your ship into this castle. Don't you need us to take it back out if you're gonna leave? And <laughs> and and like Lynx doesn't really like say anything to that. But he's like, like, don't worry about but it. He's like, but yeah, he's like, don't worry about it because like Lynx, Lynx does not care about these people, and oh, he has no. no intention of leaving them alive. <laughs> nope. Or certainly, I genuinely don't think he cares whether he does or not. Oh, he really doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like, if they happen to be alive, like whatever. I'm not actively trying to kill them, but also like I don't care if they die. Yeah. There is then a wrinkle in their plan because uh, Blood Axe is uh, sent down by Iron Gron to uh, go and uh, try and fetch. Uh, fetch me that scabby stoat from his burrow, referring to Lynx, which is a solid uh, insulting comment, which I appreciate. Yeah. It's a good burn. It's a good burn. The doctor tries to buy some time by going to Iron Gron in disguise as an upgraded version of the robot. Yeah, it's, it's like... Uh... Lynx promised Iron Gron a, a, a new robot that will respond to his voice because the uh, the hand unit is apparently uh, clearly a weakness because yes. he gets shot out of his hand. Yes. And so uh, the doctor, like, the robot, it, like, just looks like a set of armor. Yes. It looks like a set of plate mail. And so, like, the doctor just puts on the plate mail and pretends to be a robot. Yep. And, so. then, and, then, and then Iron Gron's like, Oh, but I want to test my new robot. Fight me! <laughs> and he tries to, like, he's like, but sir, I am programmed to fight for you, not against you. It's like, I don't care. Fight against me. Ah. <laughs> uh, I want to see what you're made of. And it's and, and so, like, we get, a, we get some pretty cool sword fighting. Yeah. So we get the doctor doing his fun robotic sword fighting. 
Meanwhile, Sarah Jane has gone down to the kitchens and is talking with the various kitchen maids, a group of women who I think we've seen one of them before, but increasingly it's like, oh, there's like 12 people down here that we have not seen at all this entire (laughs) uh, serial. Yeah. I mean, I think they give the reason of like, we want to steer clear of Iron Grom, which is fair. Yeah. (laughs) I would too. Yeah. She manages to sneak uh, what turns out to be like a sleeping drug into Iron Grom's food. And also attempts to invent feminism, and uh, so, so she's like, he's like, you are, you are like, you are not slaves. And they're like, yeah, we are. Which also like, you're not, but okay, whatever. And uh, then uh, ends with a complaint that you're still living in the Middle Ages, which is like, uh. which earns her like a few looks of what? <laughs> it earns her it earns her a few lo- looks of what? But also, I'm like, you know, okay, maybe the 1970s, but like. You're not that far in your own time from, like, women not being able to vote and women not being able to, like, have a credit card in their name or own property. Like, you're not doing, like, 1950. Like, you could honestly have said you're still living in the 1950s. Well, that would have really given her away, though. Right. Well, yes. But for this, they just didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, So. Yeah. But, yes, it's one of those, like... We clearly have just had unending perfect progress. And it's like, have we? Hmm. No. Right. We are currently not having perfect progress. No, we are not. And also, especially given the fact, too, that the whole dynamic is different. Because not that there isn't a patriarchal system in the Middle Ages, but also the position of women like these women who are, you know, clearly impoverished servants is really different from the position of Eleanor, who's clearly, like, running shit because her husband's incompetent. (laughs) Yeah. The doctor basically gives himself away by his speech patterns, which they describe as him sounding like some Norman ninny. Iron Gron is, like, impressed by the robot's fighting skills, so he gets Blood Axe to join him in fighting the robot, and then, like, he, he, like, calls for more men to, like, come in and and fight this thing, and, and... and the, and, and the doctor's eventually just like, I say, don't you think this is a bit unsporting, old chap? <laughs> <laughs> Which, honestly, fair, fair, fair yeah. complaint on that it's like, side. If, like, if, if I'm gonna, like, it's like, okay, they might kill me. <laughs> I might as well blow my cover. <laughs> yeah. Buy myself a few more minutes. <laughs> and fortunately for him, Iron Gron does the thing where he should just chop off his head. But like all bad guys... He's like, no, that's too easy for you. You deserve a more elaborate death. (laughs) And so he decides he's going to execute him by firing squad, essentially, so it can function as target practice for his men who have no idea how to shoot a gun. Yep. And and so we get another action scene of the doctor, like, dodging bullets. Right? (laughs) Like, he's literally dodging bullets. And and at one point, like, uh, like, Iron Gron's like, you might as well, like, my men aim so aim so ill, Doctor. You might as well just stand still. <laughs> <laughs> There's that, and also like the Doctor starts making some puns too. And Iron Grunt's like, "Oh, like oh, you know, I almost like you, my dude." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sarah Jane basically like rescues. I think she like sends like a chandelier at him that he's able to grab onto and then swing forward and then just walk past them and bar the door behind him. Yep. Like, okay, sure. He, like, he like swings himself towards the door, through the door, slams the door, puts the bar in, and, and Iron Rod's like, what? <laughs> but 
it's also like he like he literally at the end when he's going like through the door like there's literally people standing directly next to him and he's just like whoop i'm just gonna just run on through don't mind me yep and the, and uh and also lynx is also there and he's like and he like grabs one of the rifles and he's like let me have a shot at him and and, and iron Grun's like would you deny good sport <laughs> This is fun. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you always just chop the guy's head off. Or if you're in the 21st century and know how guns work, you just shoot him in the head. That's yeah. how what you're supposed to do. And the bad guy never does that. Now, to be fair, the the last like three times that Iron Gron just tried to chop someone's head off, it didn't end well. True. So, you know, he's really, he really can't win. Poor Iron He Gron. really can't. He really can't. Yeah. That's probably good, though. Yes. They they go back to Edwards briefly, but the doctor insists that they have to go back and free all of these scientists. Iron God and Lynx continue to argue about the question of whether or not Lynx is leaving. I think it might be at this point where he was like, I'll be 7 billion miles away by tomorrow. And they're like, that's a great joke, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and they're having... And they're feasting on all their food that I don't know where they got all this new food from. Their raid was a, right? was a horrible failure. Yeah, but all of a sudden they have a ton of food that seems to be completely fine and a ton of wine, which they even have by the end of the raid because immediately when he gets back, he's uh, from the unsuccessful raid, he like starts getting drunk. And it's like, wait, where did you get all this good wine from? Yeah. It's weird. So they, they start eating and once they eat, they immediately pass out because this is the drugged food. Yep. Sarah Jane, the Doctor, and Hal then return to Iron Gron's castle. They attempt to get the scientists back to their own time, and uh, Hal is sent off to go and disarm Iron Gron's men, and I think the plan is that he's going to disarm them and then wake them up and tell them to get out. Yeah. And uh, Iron Gron, however, is woken up by the effort to remove his sword, but he immediately blames Lynx for having betrayed and uh, drugged him. He goes after Lynx, but Lynx, like, in five seconds just hypnotizes him and is like, nah, we're not doing this. Yeah. Lynx starts to ready his ship and is uh, getting ready to take off, but Hal shoots Lynx in his one li- in his one weak spot, and he, I guess, dies? Yeah. Yeah. But he still manages to hit the takeoff button. <laughs> yes. He, in fact, he manages to hit the takeoff button early. So uh, they all have to run quickly to escape the castle moments before it all blows up. And they manage to use the thing that the Doctor and, and Rubish are able to use the thing that... Well, the Doctor is able to re- to take the thing that Lynx was using to snatch them out of time. Yes. Uh, he, he shows Rubish how to use it to send them back into the future. And then uh, Sarah... And then so he sends all the scientists into the future. And then Sarah Jane sends him back... But she's traveling with the doctor, so... Right. I guess it's like you go back the way you came. Yeah, fair. (laughs) Which, you know, makes sense. I guess. And so they all escape, except for Iron Gron. Yes. And, like, Hal wakes Blood Axe and is like, get your men and get them out, this place is gonna go up in flames. (laughs) Right. Uh, So yeah, so so pretty much everybody actually gets out except Iron Gron, I think. They're gonna blow up this castle through magic, which... (laughs) Okay. That's that's as... That's as close a metaphor as he needs, yeah. really. Yeah. It gets him out. It, do, it gets it the gets job him done. Out. It gets him out. Yeah. So, and that, uh, and yes, the Doctor and Sarah Jane return to the TARDIS and uh, are presumably now heading back to the 1970s. Yep. I guess, had and I watched they... the next episode, I would know if they did or not. Oh, they do. Okay. Um, and there's dinosaurs running around in the next episode, and there's mm. a whole thing going on with Something's that. Something's gone wrong but, there. 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, the next the next episode is called Invasion of the Dinosaurs, okay. which kind of gives away the fun. gives it kind of gives away the yeah the twist there. Fun. They can't stay in Jurassic Park where they belong. No, they are wandering London, oh, which no. the which the brigadier at least had the foresight to evacuate, but right. still right. They're either many thousand years too late or like forty years too early. <laughs> yes. Twenty years? I don't know when Jurassic Park came out. Uh, the nineties. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess more like twenty years. Twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, brings us to the end of our uh, our summary. So at this point, we can move into the Vera at Falso section, where we talk about what they got right and what they got wrong. And I will say, there are a couple of little details here and there that I think they do really well. The first that I wanted to comment on is that at the beginning when they're talking about the spoiled food and referring to the fact that, oh, like this sheep has like clearly been like dead for over a year. And then somebody's like, well, it's been salted. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm not buying it. It first of all does refer to the fact that salting is a legitimate preservation method. But also, I think, avoids making the claim that is a very common one, that spices are used to disguise the taste of rotten meat, which is a very common claim, but a false claim. Yeah. I am glad that they correctly indicate that, yeah, like, you can tell if meat is rotten. Like, no matter how much seasoning and cooking you do, like, you can still tell. Yeah, and you don't want to be eating that. And even yeah. if you salt it, it won't last forever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, if I, I don't know offhand, and I didn't look up exactly how long something that's been salted would last. But, you know, it certainly will go bad eventually. Yeah. I, uh, I also, so uh, Blood Axe accuses Lynx of being a Saracen and refers to his skills in Eastern magic. And, and like, Lynx introduces himself as a Santar and, and right. Blood Axe hears Saracen, which is, I guess you don't know what a Santaran is. So it's, right. it's a, the closest analogy you have the closest the closest pronunciation thing right and uh the you know the word saracen is one that uh actually goes back to the fifth century in terms of it uh being a term used to refer to arabs and then later muslims once muslims are a thing which they're not quite yet in the fifth century and it's not a word that Arabs or Muslims would ever use to describe themselves. Uh, it's a word that Christians invent to refer to them. And actually is this weird claim that they're making that Arabs are lying and saying they're descended from Sarah when they're actually descended from Hagar, which is ridiculous okay, yeah. because they actually they've very much never... embrace the fact that they're descended from Hagar. Yeah, they've never made that claim. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually like a super fucked up, pretty racist term. Yeah. That is like accusing them of, that is like insulting them by accusing them of lying in a way that they never have. Anyway, so it's a fucked up term, but it's one that would have been familiar and that in particular, especially like with the, for, with the First Crusade and the fact that they're engaging more with the Islamic world, although not very nicely, it becomes, I would say, pretty popularized. So especially if we're looking at like late 11th century or after, I think that the use of the term is certainly a valid one even among people who are not super educated. And also this Eastern magic comment actually does make some sense as an accusation since one of the uh, elements of certain accounts insulting to Islam involved these associations that were made by Christians of Muhammad with basically various wicked magic, uh, wicked magicians and sorcerers, including in particular the 
Persian magi who in reality were Zoroastrian priests, but who tended to be falsely perceived as being these magicians, essentially, by Westerners. Yeah. So I, I will give them the, you know, the Saracen and his skills in Eastern magic. I will give them that one as a, as a referent. Yeah. Mm. Also, yeah, so the Doctor and Lynx are both sort of identified as magicians and sorcerers, mm-hmm. which... To be fair, the the alien science they're pulling out does the art the old Arthur Arthur C. Clarke like any su- sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, mm-hmm. and like that's kind of I mean that's how it looks to our eyes, frankly. Yeah. So like obviously, yeah, it's not a bad comparison. Yeah. And I also do think it overall is done relatively well in the sense that magic is clearly something to be a bit wary of, but. It's also not in this period something that's going to be an immediate like we need to you know kill or destroy this person. That it's like yeah. okay, we need to be careful here, but uh, you know you we might don't need be to burn at the stake immediately, right? Like you might be associated with the devil, but like you might not. We can we can yeah. wait it out and see. Sure. You know which makes sense. I mean they have a concept. You know Merlin. They have a concept of there being good magicians. Yeah. So you know I'm I'm on board with our our references to magic here. And I also do like the blank looks that Sarah Jane gets when she uses the term Middle Ages and Medieval, because of course, to somebody living in the Middle Ages, they would not know that they are living in the Middle Ages. Yep. Since that term was invented by the Renaissance. Yeah, and and uh, and Sarah Jane doesn't doesn't use that term nearly as much once she realizes, oh, I've actually time traveled. Right, yeah, because uh, I think she recognizes probably that it's going to be completely unintelligible to them yeah. and is going to sound bizarre. It's just in the in the first bit where she thinks she's at a Ren fair. Yes, right, exactly. And then, and then yeah, once she realizes she isn't, she's like, all right, we, we okay. And she mm-hmm. doesn't want them by accident after that when she tells the women that they're living in the Middle Ages and they're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Then there's a couple of things that they don't do so well. And I'll mention a couple of small things before getting into something a little bit uh, different than usual for the Historia at Veritas. My couple small things are, first of all, what are these names? (laughs) Iron and Ron and Blood Axe. Oh, I... These are not people's names in any century. No, these are people's names never. No, these are... (sighs) Yeah, no, these are... These are... The names are insane. Yeah. Like, even when you have very, like, heavily, like, warrior-based cultures, like the Vikings or something, like, sometimes they have, or, you know, kings even, like, sometimes they have nicknames, but they have, like, another name. Like, people don't just, like, chat with them and they're like, hey, Blood Axe. Yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, no. I mean, I guess I could, yeah, I guess I could see, like, Blood Axe being a nickname. I Maybe? I can't. I maybe I can't I cannot see Iron Gron being anything. Well, because Iron Gron means not like what is the Gron? I don't know. Like I think like it means nothing. It means nothing. Uh, so that's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, our our more heroic medieval people are a little better. Like Edward and Eleanor and Hal are yeah, real names. Those are solid. So, so at least there's at least there's that, but. But yeah, I don't, and and not helping anything is the fact that like they they have no idea what year it is. Yes, which uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get to I'll which, get to the year in a moment. Okay, That's, I because I have comments too. Yeah. 
The other part of the problem with our friends Iron Gron and Blood Axe is that, so it presents them as these Saxon question mark people, like lower status people yeah. who then have managed to like take this castle and take over everything. They make, they, yeah, they make disparaging comments about Normans. So. Right, so they're presumably not Normans. Which, yeah, that so that like does sort of imply like, okay, Saxon, sure, that's the right. other and major yeah. ethnic group in this area in this vague time period. Yeah, and the Wander Servant then kind of referred to as these upstarts and seems to also imply that they might be of lower status as well. And the thing is, is that while there certainly were periods, again, we don't know if it's this one because we don't know what year it is, but there certainly are points in time where we have basically roving mercenaries who are able to basically take over castles. But a lot of the time, the leaders of this are people who are of relatively elite background. So if we're talking in particular, the, uh, the time in England where this is potentially the biggest problem is probably in the 1130s, 40s with the civil war between Stephen and Matilda, where mm-hmm. you have a ton of people just kind of either taking over castles or actually the other big part of this is that they'll actually just build a castle in a place where they do not have any authority to build a castle officially. And this mm. proliferation of castles is actually what's emphasized as a problem. But these are people that are like Norman knights and lords. Yeah. Like, these are people who are already relatively powerful people and they're just essentially establishing, you know, it's basically, they're basically just taking over additional areas, but they're not like highway bandits. Right. Which is how they're presented here, essentially. Yeah, they're, that's, yeah, like I, I did sort of see them as like, maybe they're like, I've heard of a few stories of like, a mercenary band like setting up in a castle somewhere like but it didn't happen a lot in england right and as i said in this one period where it did happen in the somewhat anarchic period of yeah. the civil war as right. i said it they is wouldn't... it is happening but it's people who are like honestly not that different from edward and eleanor yeah no like like someone someone like gruff and lower class and brah, like like iron grun like Maybe he's leading a bunch of bandits, sure, but, like, certainly not holding a castle. Right, and, like, there might have been enmity between an Iron Gron and an Edward, but the enmity isn't because uh, he's this upstart who doesn't have the right to hold a castle. The the enmity is because I should have gotten there first. Right. <laughs> so it's this, uh, it's this sort of very, very odd uh, dynamic being created between these people that doesn't really entirely make sense at any possible point in time. No. So that then leads into our next segment, the Historia at Veritas, where today we're going to do something a little different from what we normally do in this section, where because there's not a ton to quite latch onto in terms of real historical individuals or events, we're going to play a game related to that called What Year Is It? <laughs> what fucking year is it? Who yeah, knows? Oh, oh boy, there's, there's so much. So we have a lot of clues which do not together make <laughs> they do sense. Not, they do not add up to a co- coherent whole. They do not. One of them is all the comments about the Normans. We've got all of these disparaging comments about, about the Norman nobility. That does mean that we have to be sometime after the Norman conquest, but it would make most sense for it to be relatively relatively soon after the Norman conquest. Yeah. 
mean, because it's not like in the year 1300, they're still bitching about the Normans. Yeah, no, by that point, like, the Saxons and the Normans have sort of fused into the entity that is the English national identity. Right. I mean, even in, like, even in, like, Henry II's times, when, like, the mid-12th century, people aren't really like, ah, the Normans anymore. Yeah, like, like it's it's been a couple generations. They're used to them by now. Yeah, so this would, in theory, imply that we're, like, late 11th or early 12th century. Yeah, that's what that implies. <laughs> yeah. We also, okay, we know that there's a major war happening. We don't know what war it is. There are many, many options for wars. Some which mm-hmm. are more interminable than others. Yeah. So we could, in theory, be talking about Norman efforts to consolidate control. Potentially, we could be talking about that in theory, which would put us in the late 11th century. But then something like a Saxon taking over a castle would be fundamentally a part of the war and they would care. Right. Yeah. So that doesn't really make sense. We could be talking about, I don't know, like the Third Crusade in the late 12th century kept the king away for a long time, although now we're already getting away from a period where it makes sense to talk about the Normans in this way. Did the the English really get involved with the first two crusades? A little bit, but I would say more heavily the third, especially in terms of like the third is the first where like the king of England is actually going. Right. Yeah, the... The first crusade, I remember, uh, Duke Robert of Normandy went, uh, yeah. which is why when William II died, Henry I was right there and yes. seized and seized control because Robert was off in Jerusalem crusading, so he couldn't... Right, so you, you never leave when a member of the royal family might, uh, might croak. It's just... It's not yeah, a good and, idea. You, and, and especially when you're next in line. Yeah, just, just don't do it. There are also a number of... Uh, you know, wars with France over the 13th to 15th century, the most interminable wit of which is, of course, what is later referred to as the Hundred Years' War. Which goes on for 116 years. Yes, but again, this doesn't quite make sense to the whole Normans thing. But Definitely who knows? Not. It is just a war. Yep. The use of the term Sar- of the term Saracen, I would say it's in usage earlier, but especially for people who aren't super educated, it doesn't totally make sense for people to be using it until after the Crusades have started. Yep. So that I would say puts us at le- in the early 12th, like the late 11th, early 12th century at the earliest. In at theory. the earliest. Then we also have the problem that the doctor, he's talking to Rubish and he's like, oh, you're in the early years of the Middle Ages. And I'm just like, at this point, I just like threw up my hands because it's like, at the (laughs) earliest, it is 1066. And that is not the early years of the Middle Ages, which starts in approximately 500. I, I, yeah, the, the start date I, I'd use is four, well, the one I always hear is 476, which is the the fall fall of of the Western Western Empire. Empire. Yeah. And if you want nice round numbers, and sometimes people just say 500 to 1500. Yep. But... 1066 is not the early years of the Middle Ages. Nope. And that's even assuming we're in shortly after 1066, which is likely according to some things that have happened and unlikely according to others. Yeah. Then it gets even more of a mess when we have the decision that the Doctor and Sarah Jane disguise themselves as Franciscans. Yep. (laughs) Because the Franciscan Order is founded in the year 1209, and first became established in England in 1224. Yay. 
So this is then putting as a definitive, we cannot be any earlier than 1224, and yet. And yet. Uh, now, my, my, thing, my thing to add is I do have some insight into like the, the sort of meta out-of-universe reason why this is kind of a mess. Uh-huh. So Robert Holmes, who wrote the script was told he needed to do a historical script. Now, Robert Holmes right. did not like doing historical scripts ah. because he did, not, he did not like the trope of the Doctor always runs into, like, some famous historical figure or event. No, he, he like, sure he, didn't do that. No, because... <laughs> so, so it's like... So he's like, okay, I'm just gonna set it, like, at a generic couple of castles in generic south of England, south, south of medieval England. Like, it's gonna be an adventure, like, that... It, that where he doesn't have to meet, like, you know, King Richard. Or... Right. Or, like, show up, like, at the Battle of Hastings. It's just gonna be a, a little, small, contained thing. But the downside of this is he does not... Is that this gives... This does not give him, like, a target. Right. To, uh, like, a target year to, like, get his details straight. And also, he didn't want to write this story. He didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I've been at that... Clear, uh, which I, which I will add. The one other thing <laughs> is this bit that then there's this implication in terms of Iron Gron's reaction or likely reaction to the Franciscans. There is this implication that he is not Christian, which doesn't make sense unless we're in like the sixth or seventh century. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it is very clear that there is no target year. And I understand the, okay, we don't want to have it be like this big historical event and he meets this big famous person and all that. Right. But, but at least get set a target. They could have just picked a year. Right. And then, you know, check to see if things made sense with that year. It could have just been, you know, they could have just picked a year and then had everything, you know, a pro like it could have just been some guy in, like it actually could have been set during the anarchic period of the civil war between Stephen and Matilda, but it's sure. just this side thing that's going on. It has nothing to do with the actual procedure of how the war is going and no one actually cares about i mean obviously the people at the time more or less care about that but you know it's just some random castellans who are playing here you know playing both sides in terms of this war and that's the background but it doesn't really matter and he doesn't like meet Stephen or matilda or baby henry the second or anybody else right so they could have done that and they did not do that they did not and instead they just leave us with the question of what, what fucking, fucking year it is? Year is it? <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, that's it's later. Most, almost all, like later medieval set Doctor Who episodes are better about that. <laughs> they, if they don't give you a year, then they at least give you a century, right? So. Yeah, this I don't even, I don't even think there's a single century in which no. all of these things would together make sense. Like, no, definitely not. Yeah, because the Franciscans suck with it. Without the Franciscans, I think you could maybe save the 12th? Maybe? Maybe. Well, no, that would be 13th. The Franciscans Right, I said if you and... didn't have the Franciscan oh, line. Oh, right. If you yeah, didn't if have you, that if you maybe had... Maybe had Benedictines instead. Right. If you'd had that, yeah. If you just had them be Benedictines, like then at least it could have been like, mm -hmm. okay, we can we can say we're in we're in the twelfth century 
Well, though Benedictines, yeah. I wouldn't have been like wandering in that particular way, so then it wouldn't have made sense no, for Benedictines but... to be doing that. But no, but at least they <laughs> at least they exist, right? <laughs> so they've got that going for right, them, right? Exactly. Like that's a that's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it is it is a mess. There, as I said, there is there is no year. There is like literally no century that would accommodate all of the details and clues that we are theoretically given as to what year it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. For our next section, the Fabula Nostra, uh, this is where we can talk through the pitches that we might have for an alternative story, perhaps inspired by this one. I'll let you go first, because I'm still working out the details in my head. Okay. Mine does, I will admit, fall under this uh, this rubric of uh, he uh, of the doctor goes back in time and meets some famous historical figure. But my pitch is that instead of Link's coming across the thoroughly invented Iron Gron, I'm going to have him come across the real Elsid. This being a, uh, an, a Castilian noble who then ends up, because he's exiled by the king of Castile-Leon, he ends up basically marauding. He is sometimes fighting with Muslims, he's sometimes fighting with Christians, He's, he's kind of doing a whole thing. At some point, he's basically, you know, a mercenary captain for the Taifa king of Zaragoza. But, you know, so he's just, he's just got, he's got a lot going on. And he's somebody who, when we look at both the historical El Cid and also in some ways the epic poem about him written in the 12th century, he's this figure who shows up as being, I guess I would say, somebody who... In the poem, at least, he's presented as being ultimately loyal to his king, and he's going to fight mostly against people who are enemies of the king, even though the king has exiled him. But he doesn't really seem to care, as I said in particular, about whether people are Muslim or Christian that he's fighting with. And is mostly just this kind of mercenary warlord sort of doing his own thing, and he mostly cares about himself uh, being in power. So in that, he's in some ways not entirely unlike Irongron. No, but he is... But he is, uh... Not a direct one-to-one correlation for no. Francisco Franco. <laughs> no. So that's the thing, too, is that the problem, of course, with the uh, most famous modern adaptation of El Cid is that it's this movie with Charlton Heston that super idealizes him and also is kind of using him as a model for Franco because the Francoist fascist government heavily funded this movie. Which make mm-hmm. which means that that's why they basically made a Frank a, uh, a fascist propaganda film, despite it being an American studio. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. And to hear and to hear more ranting about that, Sarah did an episode on that like a few months ago. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I also taught this very recently, so uh, it is fresh in my mind since I covered this in my medieval movies course. Cool. Yeah. So I think it would be interesting to then have this more morally flexible portrait of El Cid and have uh, him being the one with who works with links and you know the Cid isn't going to be this like caricature of uh, a you know evil warlord but he's also going to be somebody who's like yeah right I'll work with this random dude who seems kind of like an asshole but he's going to give me some fun weapons and I can defeat the the Taifa king of Valencia like sure and uh, that then it could be a little bit less of a, like, we have to defeat El Cid, a bit more of a, like, we need to kind of deal with these things because probably we shouldn't have uh, guns in the 11th century. Probably not. Certainly not 
uh, guns as advanced as this. I know, I know guns were invented before a lot of people expect, but also medieval guns, like, they show up in, like, 13th, 14th century-ish, yeah. and, uh, and they are not especially accurate or effective, right. and they are pl- prone to blowing up in people's hands. So, like, they're right, but they but they exist, right? And there's certainly various kinds of like gunpowder-based weapons, but yeah, but they even but the 11th century would be too early for that, even at least. In yeah, Europe. they are they are, but but they're definitely not uh, 19th century breech-loading rifles. No, they are not. Yeah, and you know it it makes sense that maybe having 19th century breech-loading rifles in the 11th century is not great. And that's something that we should uh, no. stop. No, especially not in the hands of someone like Ironbrock. Right. And it could be interesting also, because then it might there might be a bit more of an impetus to stop Irongron from, you know, blowing up a castle and some additional, com- or stop um, Lynx from basically blowing up a castle. Because while you can make the argument that in the grand scheme of English history, this one castle in the middle of southern England getting blown up doesn't really matter, having like the castle, like like having like the palace in the center of the city of Olympia blow up would yeah. be not so great. Not great. So they would have to do a bit more potentially even to actually stop Lynx before he gets to that part of his, uh, his accomplishing of his goals. Yeah. This is a bit of a this is going to be a bit of a call forward to an episode that we probably will do down the line. But there's a there's a later Doctor Who episode where the do, where there is like an explosion in the middle of a city, mm. and the Doctor's companions are like maybe we should help fight this fire. But then the Doctor like realizes where he is and also what year it is, and he's like I think we should let this run its course. And and the, and the and uh, he accidentally starts the Great Fire of London. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, you know, that's almost as good as my actual conspiracy theory about the Great Fire <laughs> of London, which is that it was started by Christopher Wren so that he could build a bunch of churches. <laughs> yes, ah, uh, Christopher Wren, uh, your architecture is amazing, but also, yeah. <laughs> but also maybe you started the Great Fire of London. This is my one it's, conspiracy it's theory that I definitely yeah, sh- believe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past him, I yeah. guess. Uh yeah, I didn't put a lot of thought into this because I forgot Fabula Noster was a thing until, like, just before we started recording. Um, so, the, the like, sort of concept is a good one and, like, a fairly common recurring one in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Like, so if I had to make something inspired by this, I'd basically, I'd do something quite similar, but, like, I would definitely nail it down to, like, a specific time and place. Yeah. I maybe... I maybe would throw a zag in there and, like, instead of Doctor Who, which almost always, like, they default to England, which mm-hmm. makes sense because it's an English show. Right. But I might set it somewhere else just to just to throw a little wrinkle in there. Like, uh, Elsit is a good one. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, <laughs> trying to think of, like, an actual pitched war where both sides are roughly equivalent in power. Because, like... I'm coming up with things like the investiture con- controversy, but like Emperor Henry the Fourth does not want to shoot the Pope. Um, <laughs> that would also, be sort of entertaining, though. It would be, but also the Pope might want to w- shoot Henry the Fourth. The Pope might want to shoot Henry the Fourth. <laughs> that's true. The the other possible thing that. 
Well, the other the other thing I'm coming up with is uh, is Philip the Fourth versus the Templars, and that mm. also isn't a fair fight. Right. Yeah. Although so, it is it is fun to imagine the Templars shooting their way out of. Uh... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's certainly true. But then you don't get the lovely conspiracy theory of the Templar curse. Right, true. Which I always have enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, it is convenient. And it's probably convenient because they probably came up with the line after all of those people had died. True. But but still. Yeah. So, yeah, some actual war that actually has... Maybe... Oh, here's a thought. The Teutonic Order trying to clear out the the pagans in lithuania Hmm, yeah yeah so try to give the lithuanians guns right (laughs) which uh it's there's there's debates to be had over who's the good guys or bad guys in that struggle but but uh but it would be an interesting wrinkle to throw in that dynamic yeah yeah definitely Uh, actually uh one of the few i i did a brief stint in college before i ran out of money but one of the few actual papers I did was about the uh, Battle of Tannenberg in 1410, mm. which is which is it's it's regarded as the gr- the greatest Polish and Lithuanian military victory right. in history. Basically, the the Poles and Lithuanians were on one side, and the Teutonic Order was on the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point in the battle, like the Lithuanians just retreat, and the and the Teutonic Order like assume that they're winning, and they surround the Poles and like they get them to surrender but like while their while their guard is down because they think they have the poles banged to rights like the lithuanians circle around back and take them by surprise and and like just destroy them right that'd be fun yeah add, add some guns into there add some guns to the battle of tannenberg right <laughs> yeah there you go yeah so that's that's what i'd do Give the Lithuanians guns. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good base concept. I, I just uh, would have liked to see a bit more specificity, even if it hadn't necessarily been a major historical event as opposed to some sort of like border skirmish. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. That then takes us to the estimatio section, where we rate this, this uh, serial on a scale of one to five based on whatever criteria we see fit. And I think given the just annoyance about what year it is, I think I have to knock it down to like a 2.5. I did enjoy it, but it's just historically a mess. That is that is entirely fair. I'm going to go uh, 3 out of 5 personally, um, because again, it is it is historically a mess. So I'm, I'm going roughly off your, your whole like, we're scoring half for half for uh, historical accuracy and half for like just how enjoyable it is. Yeah, and like, so it gets no points for history, but like, I like I I like the Doctor. I like I like I enjoyed all these characters. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this plot. I did not enjoy the historical mess, but <laughs> I but like I I was entertained. Yeah, no, I was definitely so, entertained, and so. So yeah, three out of five from me. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to continuing to moving forward since, uh, well, I felt like the uh, the 1970s misogyny was a little better than the 1960s misogyny. It does. It, it, it's it's a thing that improves over time. Yeah. So it's they they are written by men in their times. Yeah. I don't remember when the first uh, actual female writer started working on the show. 
but it it wasn't here, <laughs> or it or no, I don't think it was here, but but it it's definitely not Robert Holmes, <laughs> and Robert Holmes is a good writer when he when he can be bothered to, I mean Robert Holmes is a good writer when he's not pissed off about having to write something of historical. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he does he does much better with like future alien yeah. stuff. Yeah. Where he doesn't have to worry about that. And I think as I said, I think the story is good and I like the concept. It just it would have been really nice if somebody had just picked a year and done like 10 minutes of research. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> that's that's often all I ask. I ask for like 10 minutes of research. Yeah, it's like, it's like this, it's not that hard. It just, just put in a little bit of effort, please. Right, or like, talk to one medievalist. Like, most of us, like, I would have consulted on this for like, a nice dinner. I mean, not in the 1970s, because I wasn't Yeah, born, no, you were, you were but, not born yet. <laughs> um, but like, in general, for future individuals who are looking for a consultant on a TV show... I would consult yeah. on so, like I would consult on a future Doctor Who episode set in the Middle Ages for very little money. Chris Chibnall, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, seriously, like buy me a very nice dinner, <laughs> and I will probably like buy me a very nice dinner and like fly me out to wherever it is that you're you're doing uh, your record your uh, not recording that's not the word you're uh, uh, you're filming. filming yes fly me out to the filming location and uh, buy me a really nice dinner and I will do it. I would too, frankly. Like yeah. I am, not, I I do not have uh, Sarah's pedigree of degrees, but I one day, I one day, but I know more than nothing. Right. <laughs> I have I have a greater than zero. If you if you want to set a if you want to set an episode at the Battle of Tannenberg, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. No. As I said, I would I would do it like mostly for the free trip to Europe. Like, okay. Oh, same. Yeah. 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 We we're we're cheap. We're like academics don't not, do not make a lot of money. So, take me to Lithuania. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like get me to Spain for that El Cid episode. We'll do that, and then I can go do research. It'll be and have some wine. It'll be great. Hell yeah. So my my pitch to future uh, to, future, <laughs> to future showrunners is just just please like pay a medievalist a pittance of money to <laughs> to consult on your piece on your work. We would love to. Yeah. We would be happy to. <laughs> Either places, Elizabeth, where listeners can find you on the internet. I have I have a Twitter. I tweet sometimes. I am at Lizzie Strider. I have projects in the work. They are they are not uh, in any any anywhere near completed or they're they're closer to barely started. My biggest internet presence is as the Doctor Who expert on media evil. Um, yes. <laughs> So, uh, but uh, that has inspired uh, my next project, which is, uh, it doesn't have a title yet, but it's sort of a, a almost a reverse media evil, mm-hmm. where instead of, uh, instead of like wa- watching all different media that's set in, this, that's set in roughly the same, the Middle Ages, I want to go through Doctor Who and like have oh, experts on in every episode for like the time periods they go to. Yeah. I'm I'm putting I'm putting it out there. Uh, tweet at me if you have you know historical knowledge of like a period or like you know you know about something else interesting like dinosaurs. They run into <laughs> dinosaurs more than once because right now like the biggest thing uh, keeping me from getting off the ground is I don't know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yes, if you are a historian listening to this podcast, uh, reach out to Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get you in for an episode. Uh, there's there's a lot to choose from. There's uh, currently they've the most recent season of of the television show is the thirty eighth, mm-hmm. and then there's all and then there's also the audio dramas which have been going constantly since nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Uh, in parallel to it, huh. which are and they're and they're canon as well. So okay. there's. There's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be a fun podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to have you on it so, at some of points. Course. Like to, I might just like, I'm, I'm half tempted to be like, when we get to the time meddler, it's like, it's like, just watch, listen to the media evil episode. We did this already. <laughs> right. Well, happy but, to, uh, to come back on your podcast and, uh, yes. uh, and act according to your format and all that. So. Yeah. I mean, I have to figure out a format too. Oh, right. good grief. <laughs> All the prep that you need to do for podcasting. All the prepping. Yes. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah. For those of you who have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this is how we get more listeners. This is how we are able to expand to a broader range of people uh, when people search things about medieval history and podcasts or movies. Please do that and I'll read new five-star ratings in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at MediaEvilPod and join the Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah If Decker. And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions about the podcast or about the medieval world in general, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.